So what's your favorite Christmas carol? Why don't you turn and tell somebody next to you what your favorite Christmas carol is? Now, how many of you are lousy at singing it? Yeah, yeah, we know. We've heard you. Yeah. Christmas and music just seem to go together, don't they? We do a lot of singing Christmas, and rightfully so because of the brilliance of what happened, that God became flesh and lived among us. There's a sense in which Mary is the first Christian, not the first to believe, not the first to have faith, but at least the first one to be impacted by the mystery of the fact that God became flesh. The Christmas message is that God sent his son, his, he, he sent Jesus, Jesus became human so that human beings could become God's children. That's the majesty of Christmas. That central truth took hold of Mary in such a way that she was never the same again. Christmas can do the same thing to you and me. I don't care how many Christmases that you've celebrated as a believer, even in Jesus, if you will take an opportunity to revisit Christmas this year as if it's the first time you've seen it and recognized it, I'm telling you, it can change your heart and your life. That's what the message does. Here's Mary's song that she sings in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 36, 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost being, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, my soul glorifies the Lord, Mary says. She doesn't say, I'm glad he came because now my life can be a little better than it used to be. She doesn't say, oh, now I have all these terrible anxieties. Now I have a solution for all my anxieties. No, 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 no. This was life-changing. My soul magnifies the Lord. She was shaken to the core because of what was happening to her and what God was doing in the world. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And as she sings, she sings about three things, basically. First, Mary sings of the nature of God. Now, often the Christmas season gets kind of snowed under, so to speak, by all the sentimentality and the romanticism of the season. I mean, just for a little while, you might see more just be kind little posters appear, or you might hear a Coke. I don't know if they still do it. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Yeah. You might hear it. I don't know if that's an old commercial or not. Uh, or those little Hershey kisses that, that's, that, that ring, you know, it's kind of sweet, isn't it? Or Tiny Tim's, God bless us, everyone. And that, you'll have that around for two or three weeks, then you go back to your mean old selves when Christmas is over, you know? 
That's all it is. Now, you can do Christmas that way. Or, so if you're, you're after a warm, fuzzy Christmas, just stay there. Mary, when she is captivated, she celebrates the attributes of God. For the mighty one, she says, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Three things she sings about God. First of all, he is the mighty one. He has done, this mighty one has done a great thing. She is moved by the omnipotence of God. Now she's always known up till now in her Jewish upbringing that God is all powerful. But suddenly it has moved, this omnipotence of God, this all powerful nature of God has moved from being something intellectual to something practical. It has captivated her heart, and she, it's hard to get her head around it because the Gabriel said to her, you're going to have God's baby. What? I'm a virgin. How can that be? And Gabriel says, nothing is impossible with God. Now, I imagine up to this point, Mary would have certainly said amen to that, just like you say amen to it. And nevertheless, in spite of that, we limit God all the time by our lack of faith and trust and belief that he can do anything he wants to do. Whatever he wants to do, God can carry out. And sometimes we live small, pitiful, limited lives because we don't actually believe it. We intellectually believe it. We theoretically believe it. We theologically believe it. But we don't practically believe that God can do anything he wants to do. Now, of course, he's not going to work powerfully in a person's life who doesn't want him to work powerfully. He doesn't mess with free will, right? He doesn't do that. But he always works in wonderful ways. Luke and I have, have, have said together at times, we have, you know, we, we have just wondered at God's power because sometimes we, we come up to preach and we don't, we're not feeling so good, you know? And we look at each other and we think, eh, I'm very good today, you know? And then God shows up and he, he, he shows his power in weak servants. And sometimes we can feel pretty good and we fall flat. Because probably it was more fleshly than it was the power of God. And we had to be humbled. It happens to us as we announce God's word. See, if you, if, you don't, if you don't really believe that God's omnipotence is true and real and it works in your life, it'll never cause you to worship him in a great way or even obey him. But because Mary sees it in a new way, his power, she emerges more worshipful and more obedient than ever before, regardless of what it's calling her to. She's going to have a terrible reputation. She's going to have to go to another country for safety to, to, to make sure her child isn't killed by Herod later on. But she's willing to do that because she has seen the power of God and experienced it in, in her own life, even as she's carried the Christ, the Christ child in her womb. Because he's, because he's so mighty, we worship and we obey he is also the Holy One. She says, holy is his name. Sin is always an affront to God. Sadly, it isn't always to us. We get used to sin. We become accustomed to brokenness in our culture. We get accustomed to what we hear and what we see and what we deliberate upon. We emerge with such thoughts and experiences saying, ah, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm only human. What can you expect? And we allow, we allow the comfort of living in a fallen world, a sinful world, sadly, to desensitize us to the, to the absolutely horrid nature of sin before a holy God. 
God never gets used to sin. He never gets accustomed to it. And Mary here recognizes his holiness. When you sing, remember it's because of our sin. It's because of our sin that we celebrate Christmas. When we sing, God is saying, I saw that you were a sinner and I've come to rescue you. That's what the season's about. She's also saying he is the merciful one. All three of these attributes need to be woven together in order for our salvation to be accomplished. And the, the, the great thing about the good news of Jesus is you don't, have, you don't have to have it all together to come to him. In fact, if you think you've got it all together, you're not allowed in the kingdom. You know, to get into Stanford University, only, only 5% uh, of applicants become students at Stanford. The average student who's admitted has a grade point average of 4.18. I thought about trying, but. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the perfect ACT score is 36. Most who get gain entrance have a 35 score. And plus, you have to, on your resume, on your application, list your extracurricular activities and what you've done to, to broaden yourself, plus have 60,000 bucks, right? Uh, in other words, if you're, if, you're, if you're a perfect person and a pretty amazing person, they'd love to have you. Now, if you think you're all that, you can't be in the kingdom of God. If you think you're pretty amazing, pretty perfect person, hey, God, you should be glad to have me. Look what I can bring to the kingdom, you know? No way you can gain entrance in the kingdom. You can't bring a resume with you impressing God you have to come as a broken person with nothing to offer him, nothing to offer him. Else you'll cling to your goodness rather than the cross of Jesus Christ. God is powerful. That makes him capable of doing what has to be done. He is holy, and that gives him the authority to do what has to be done. And he is merciful and that means he has the desire to do what must be done. And that is rescuing us from sin and shape. Now, if you don't see him that way, you'll never be changed by Christmas. Music will just be ordinary Christmas music you're used to singing this time of year. Let it capture you again, the very nature of God. She also sings of the purpose of God. She says, for the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. See, Christmas is more about you than, than you and me becoming better people. Should you be better? Sure. Should I be better? Absolutely, I should be. Mary is moved by what's happening inside of her, but she's also moved by, why, by what God is doing outside of her. She sees that because of, he's, of what he's what he's doing by allowing her to bear the Christ child that something's about to happen to the world and the possibility of every human being being reconciled to God is about to happen because of this baby that I'm carrying in my womb. You see, there's nothing more unbiblical than you treating your faith as a private matter. And I meet a lot of people like that. Well, I'm not one really talk about my faith. Well, get over it. 
You know, I, I, I think we should keep our faith separate from everything. If that's how you think faith operates, you don't understand what it means to be transformed by Jesus Christ. It's not a private faith. You see, you, you, the friends that you have, the people you know, uh, they don't care if you follow Jesus. They, could, they couldn't care less. What they, what they can't stand is when you have to talk about it. Why can't you just shut up about it and believe what you want to? We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard, what's happened to our lives, how he's rescued us from sin and death, how we have a future, how we have a hope, how we have life today because of Christ. That, that, that's what our life is about. What I'm trying to say today is that Mary, because of what God did in her, she had a vision bigger than herself. That's what God does. When we are rescued, he aligns us with his purposes that he's doing. That's why in her song she says, ah, you're remembering Abraham. Why Abraham? Because Abraham was told, by your seed, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. For 400 years before this occasion when Mary is told she's going to bear the Christ child, by all, by all practical purposes, for all practical purposes, God's been silent. We have no record of any prophecy Nothing happening. Four centuries. And the remnant of God's people must have wondered, does God remember? Does he remember his promises? Does he remember what he was going to do? Or if we've just aggravated him so much that he's washed his hands of us, what? And then out of the darkness, out of four centuries of silence, he speaks. You're going to bear my child. And immediately Mary gets it. Ah, I'm the one. I'm, I'm the one chosen to bring Christ into the world. My brothers and sisters, when you are saved, it's not simply so you get to go to heaven. We are joining with God in the greatest message and the greatest work in the world. He wants to, he gives you a vision for your life, something beyond, something beyond just going to, through the mundane motions of work every day and paying bills and having friendships and going to parties and, and whatever you do, whatever your week looks like, it's bigger than you know. He's trying to get us to understand how he wants to use us to accomplish his purposes in the world. Have you ever heard of the circadian clock? How many of you know the circadian clock? Oh, you're the smart ones. Okay. If I had you come out and explain it, you're probably a scientist or something, uh, or a doctor. And, and a circadian clock, uh, I, I've read definitions. I still don't get it when I read the definition, I, I, so I'll be really simple about it. Circadian clock is, has to do with your body rhythm. So if you thought you were going to buy one for a friend for Christmas, forget it, all right? Uh, your circadian clock is what gives you a sense of balance in your life, in other words. It, you've experienced it being out of rhythm if you've gone overseas and experienced jet lag. In jet lag, you come back, you're a little nauseous because your body clock is off. Uh, you get your nights and days mixed up, that sort of. That's your circadian clock that is out of whack. It has to be set back into rhythm again. We all have a spiritual circadian clock, and it gets out of rhythm. And if you think you're here in a worship service just because this is what Christian people do, and I'll feel better about myself if I go to church and then go on, and that's all you see this to be, your circadian clock spiritually is out of whack. We are here to be reminded that we were lost and we were found. We were dead and we're alive. And now we are God's ambassadors when we leave this place to love people to Jesus Christ. And the church forgets that because we enjoy being together. We enjoy singing together. We enjoy what we do. We like to eat together. 
And so we enjoy our friendship so much that we get out of spiritual rhythm and forget this is why I was saved. I was saved to declare the glories of God, to tell how much Jesus means to me by the way I live, by the choices I make, by the way I treat people, whatever it is. That's what we're, anybody out of whack today in your circadian clock? You got to get it back in rhythm. Get it back in rhythm. Mary says, all this happened just as he promised. Just as he promised. One of the messages of Christmas is God never forgets. He never forgets. Don't ever think he's forgotten you. Don't ever think that. The Jews in Jesus' day, I'm sure, must have thought that before he was born. God's forgotten us, but he showed up. And he'll show up to you if you want him, if you desire him with a whole. Not to use him, but really desire him. And then Mary sings of the adequacy of God. Verse 53, he fills the hungry, but he sends the rich away empty. It's sort of a a preview of Jesus teaching the Beatitudes when he begins, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Blessed are those who know they're absolutely spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who know they have this great debt they owe God and there's no way we can pay it. There is no way we can pay it back. It, it, it's so, so he took the price for us by sending Jesus to die in our place. You can't separate Christmas from the crucifixion. And he's the only one qualified to fill the need. Now you can go to Amazon today and you can get all kinds of books to help you be a better person. And your employer could send you to motivational speakers to produce more. And maybe you will a little bit for a time. You can, you know, athletes, professional athletes hire hypnotists to help them know mentally they can do anything they're supposed to do on the field or on the court. And maybe some help is given. The problem is we bring that kind of spirit to God too. That we think, we think we're all that. But God, God can't work with people who are self-made. He can only work with people who know how hungry and desperate and empty they really are without him. That's how we have to be. Basically, and this is the scary part, really. The more educated you are, we have a lot of degreed people here, even beyond college education, being college educated. The wealthier you are, our median income and our ministry area is much higher than than the typical median income. The wealthier you are, the, more posi- the higher position you have in your employment. We have lots of people in management positions over other people. The more of that we have, the, the harder it is to see- sense our deep need for the Lord. They are traps for us. And we have to be very careful and aware of ourselves. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Now, I'm not really drawn to fish. Do you know this fish? Yeah, what is that? What is it? Lila, my granddaughter knew that. All right. Uh, the blowfish, puffer fish, kind of cute, isn't it? Kind of cute, kind of not, but kind of cute. It's filled with toxins. It can kill 30 human adults. And there's no antidote for the toxins in the, in the puffer fish. Puffer fish is a name for it, puffer fish. Do you know any puffer people? <laughs> Have you been one? Are you one? It's so easy to get to be a puffer person. 
All you have to do is ignore God's truth. It's a natural thing for us to be puffed up. And that kind of spirit is toxic. It ruins marriages. It ruins places of business, offices. It ruins a mindset on an athletic team. It takes one or two players to act like a blowfish to take a team down. And there's only one antidote, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. The only antidote is to lay ourselves down before him. You know, notice Mary saying, I didn't put it on the screen, but there's, there's a verse in her song. Verse 51 says, he has scattered those who are proud and their inmost thoughts. Now, this is the scary part. Most of us are so busy and so fast and our lives, are so, our lives are so noisy, we don't even have time to know what's in our inner thoughts. We, we don't go that deep. We live on the surface so much. It's a scary thing to think in our inmost being, we're really proud. It's just covered up really well. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, just when I think I have pride covered, there's a thought that comes up in with me, and it comes up within me that realizes that pride is still alive in my body, in my heart, in my life. And I have to, I have to confess that before the Lord and get it crucified fast because it will eat us up and destroy us. That's how Mary sees herself. In the last three years, I have, I've gained a lot of friends who are recovering addicts. And one of the reasons that I have been so blessed by them is that they know how utterly dependent they are on God's power in them. They know they cannot do this alone. That's really humbled me and it's taught me about myself, how prone I am to depend on my flesh or my giftedness, my ability my effort, and nothing is more shameful before a holy God than a spirit like that. We desperately need the blood of Christ. And God came because I, Steve White, was a rebel, a sinner against a holy God. And to me, more than anything, that's what binds us together as we recognize our sinfulness and our need to be together, to keep pointing each other to Jesus Christ. So, so when, when you sing songs this Christmas, when you sing the carols that are so familiar, can, will you think about them? Think about, think less about how you sound than how you are as a person. Think less about the, the tune and more about the lyrics. Think less about the atmosphere of your house decorated than the atmosphere of your life as a follower of Jesus. Think less about the holiday and more about the holy day that it was when Jesus was born. It always seems in December that I have a lot of funerals. I don't know if it's the cold I have one tomorrow. I suppose there'll be more before the month is over. And when, when I do a funeral at Christmas, you know, I think, you know, it's a pretty good time to die. You think about somebody's first Christmas in heaven, 
Patsy Harris, a dear saint, went to be with the Lord this week, and we'll celebrate her life tomorrow. Boy, did she teach us how to praise. She taught us how to praise. I mean, over in traditional worship, she's the only one with her hands up. You know? But she knew how to praise God. Behind me on the stage here, there's a baptistry. It's where people die. They die to self. They die to their past. They die to their sins. They die to themselves being their own God and ruler. They die saying, I can't do life this way. There's only one who's worthy to be on the throne of my heart. And so I want to say to you, if you've not been immersed into Jesus, Christmas is a pretty good time to die. Die yourself and live for God. And then there'll be one more person that sings together with the rest of us. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For the mighty one has done, is doing great things for me, for us. Holy is his name. Stand up.